You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's time for the VolQuest podcast where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. A good Tuesday, everybody, and welcome to the Ball Quest podcast. I'm Eric Kane with Austin Price and Rob Lewis uh, here today. Big thanks to our friends over at Home Exterior Home Solutions who make this podcast possible. For a free estimate, give them a call today at 865-524-5888. Again, 865-524-5888. Uh, exterior Home Solutions making all of this possible. Guys, we got a whole lot to get into Baseball season has started. Tennessee football picked up a new commit. But let's start on the hardwood, Rob. And it was a disappointing effort from Tennessee at Rupp on Saturday, falling 66-54. to Tennessee shoots less than 40% from the field. Its starting point guard had four fouls at the 15-minute mark of the second half. Uh, a lot of headaches for Rick Barnes and his team on Saturday. Yeah, just <clears throat> not, a, not a great outing at all. And, and just a, a weird week, excuse me. <clears throat> You know, Tennessee goes from the, the highs of um, Wednesday night, knocking off number one, Alabama. You know, it feels like that might be something that, that sort of gets them going a little bit. And uh, instead, nope, not at all. I mean, they go up to Rupp and, and play one of, probably the, at least on the short list for their worst 20 minutes of the year in that first half, dig a hole so big that, you know, they really don't have a realistic shot at getting out of it down 39 to 19 at halftime. And, you know, you could say they were shorthanded, but you know, they were shorthanded less than 72 hours earlier when they, you know, handled Alabama pretty easily. To me, it was just one of those rare examples where they did not look ready to play. Um, you know, they were down 10 to two in the blink of an eye. Zakai Ziegler was on the bench with, with two fouls just under the 15 minute mark. And, um, you know, second half play made it, made it look a, a little respectable, but to me, that was just, a, that was a bad, bad outing for Tennessee against a Kentucky team that is not very good in my opinion. Yeah, I think especially, you know, starting this, you know, coming up, you know, this week against Texas A&M at Texas A&M, Rob, when, when, you're a team, when you're a team that struggles to shoot, when you're, or just when you're a shooter, you know, what do they teach you when you're a kid? Hey, don't keep, you know, keep, don't try to keep around 25 footers if you can't make one. Start in close, see the ball go in and work your way out. Tennessee did that in the second half where they, they attacked the rim and, and obviously, you know, Santi was able to make, you know, a, you know, a few threes. But in the first half, it was just three, 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 and it was clang, 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 clang. And even though Kentucky wasn't playing great, they were doing enough to extend. And all of a sudden, as you said, 10-2 right out of the gate and 39-19 at the half. And, you know, Tennessee made a run there in the second half, had it to, you know, 10 with about 12 minutes to go. And then as close as they got was eight. Like, they, they could not ever make that second push, that second wave of the second half. And, you know, if you're not going to have – you know, Julian Phillips, if you're not going to have Josiah Jordan James and, you know, you're going to rely on Jemai Meshack, you've got to do stuff by doing what he does best, which is what he did Saturday, which is attack the rim. But too many early threes, and when you're not making them, you can't just continue to jack them up. To me, that's 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 a recipe for disaster for this team. And, and again, Tyreek Key, 
you know, two good, two really good games, and all of a sudden kind of goes back into disappear mode. And, and you know, even though he continued to shoot Saturday at Rupp, nothing was going in. Yeah, tough. I mean, I, I just I think it's tough for Coach Barnes just to, to figure out what he's going to get from his team every night. I mean, really, really I mean, he legit yeah. just, just has no idea. And I, I think that's a – I mean, I, and I mean offensively. And that's a bad place to be in as a coach. I mean, when you can't, you know, you put together a game plan and, um, you know, you, you get out there and try to execute it and you got some guy that has, just, you know, just doesn't have it that night. And, um, you know, I, I think there's just – there's too much going on or too much of that going on with Tennessee to feel really comfortable about this squad putting together three, four, you know, five really good games in March back-to-back consecutively where offense is not an issue. I mean, they can they'll, they can beat somebody up on defense I mean, on, on any given night and just make life miserable for them. And, you know, if that night coincides with one where they can score 70 points, then they're going to be really, really tough to beat. But, then you know, there's going to be days like Saturday. Don't, don't you feel like um, that, you know, while everybody said, well, the defense travels, but, like, it feels like the defense hasn't traveled as well – you know, the last couple of weeks, like they've had a couple of moments, Alabama, obviously they played really well defensively, but Missouri scores in the mid eighties. I, I thought Kentucky got, you know, too many easy, e- easy shots and easy looks uh, for a team that I just don't think is very good offensively. I, I mean, that, to me, that's just an average Kentucky team at best. And- yeah, t- t- Tennessee's defense is not as good as their season long numbers make it look. It's, it's not as good as right now. The numbers have really gone down in SEC play. Alabama has been better than them in, in terms of field goal percentage defense and in terms of opponent three point three point shooting. Um, you know they're still really good, but it's not they're not playing at this juggernaut like level yeah. that, that, that they were earlier in the season. And and part of that, you know, frankly, maybe the schedule's toughing it up. I mean, we talked all year about how the schedule is backloaded. You know that that might be some of it, but still, you know, they just had they just held Alabama to their lowest point total the entire season. The only yeah, time they. I mean, they only time they've been under 60, but it's just, it's almost like you have to have a defensive game like that to beat a good team with the way they play offense. Rob, so kind of how, how do you trade this off here? Again, it was a really good win against Alabama at home, knocking off the number one team in the country. That's going to, you know, help Tennessee's resume and net and RPI and all that type of stuff. But then you fall to Kentucky and I'm not sure where they are in the net right now, but I know it's down there. I mean, that that's that's not a good loss for Tennessee, losing to a Kentucky team that is so far down. So kind of, is it a simple trade-off? I mean, what's this week for Tennessee with the high and the low? <clears throat> I don't think it's a trade-off because I go back and I count the week before. So to me, they didn't beat Alabama and fall to Kentucky. They've lost three or four. And the, yep. one, and the one that they've won just happens to be over the number one team in the country. So to me, they're on a skid now. It's it's coinciding with with having two starters out. I mean, you can't say that's not a big deal. I mean, just because they beat Alabama, because I, I mean, I, I think it is, and it's a big deal not just you know on a lot of reasons. First off, those two guys, when you have them on defense and you play Olivier, you can switch one through five. You can switch everything, which is significant. And um, you know, they're two guys that they can lead you in scoring or rebounds on any given night. You know, there's not a lot of there's not the other guys on, on this team that have that skill set. And lastly, you know, just not being down two bodies when a guy, and I'm not trying to pick on Tyreek Key, but, I mean, he didn't have it on Saturday. He's 0-6 from the field, you know, scored one point. But, you know, Rick doesn't – Rick has to leave him out there for 25 minutes because, you know, he doesn't have anybody else to turn to. So, you know, they need to get healthy. You know, I think that will make things look a lot better. But, you know, clearly, I'm not – I'm not – 
say the season's over. I mean, just because they've lost three or four, but it's you know, they're, they're they're in a different spot than they were a month ago, obviously. Yeah, w- one bright spot in that game again. I know you guys talked about it in the uh, the full court press, um, and, and I'm not trying to say he's turned the corner offensively, but we know he's a defensive guy, Jamal Mashiak. But his offense, you know, was. <laughs> Uh, you know, it was, it was 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 Tennessee. You know, he he was all Tennessee had offensively for a lot of that game. Uh, I know Santiago Vesky had 17 points, but it was Uros in game one against Kentucky. It was Jemai Maychak offensively in game two. He was 7-12 from the field, scored 16 points. I mean, ha- has that potential offensively, Rob, always been there for Jemai, or was Kentucky just not paying attention to him? What made him go off offensively, uh, whereas he plays for his defense? Oh, uh, I'm... I... Like you, I'm not going to say he's turned the corner. I think it was because he knew his team needed that from him that day. I mean, Jemai, you know, he's he's limited offensively right now. At least when you're talking about the perimeter jump shot, I mean, he's he's improved, but it's not where you know you want it to be for a starting shooting guard in the SEC. But as you touched on earlier, Eric, he can he can flat out put it on the floor and get to the rim. I mean, he's strong, he's athletic, and I think he just had that mindset on on Saturday that hey, my my guys, you know, he's looking around the court. You know, Jemai's on the bench. Tyreek and Santiago can't buy a bucket in the first half. And he's like, hey, you know, somebody's going to do it. He's got that mindset where he, you know, he'll take on the burden. And he had a great week. I mean, he he did probably as good of a job on Brandon Miller as anybody's done all year long. And then the 16 points at Kentucky were out of nowhere. And, and, and the shame of it is, you know, you felt like you were going to have to have a performance like that from somebody, you know, whether him or Tyreek. Or you know to to win on the road with, with Julian and Josiah out, and then you know you get that from Jemai and the guys that you normally count on don't don't have it. You know, Rick Rick's had this uh, knack for the development. You know, whether you go back to you know Kevin Punter, um, Josiah Jane, Jordan James, a shot. Um, I, I would love to see him develop some type of Robert Hubbs type elbow shot for Jemai Mayshack because Mayshack's ability to elevate. And, and right there like that, I think it just would be and, – and you're not requiring him to go out and try to learn to shoot a bunch of threes, right? Like, let him work the elbow. Because I think if he could do that, that could be a real bread-and-butter game for Jemai if he can if he can develop into that type of role. Rob, you look ahead of this week. Obviously, it's a big week. You're on the road at College Station, Texas A&M, and then you have South Carolina. You're going to have a, a preview coming out uh, today getting ready for the game. But what can you tell us about the Aggies? What does Tennessee need to do in terms of attacking the Aggies to try to pick up a win on the road? Man, I like this Texas A&M team. I mean, they're not they, – they are not the, the prettiest team to watch. Man, they, they play hard. Uh, I, I think Buzz Williams is, is a really good coach. Tons of, tons of transfers. I think he's one of those guys that that's – you know, that, that's how he's going to get it done a, a lot of years. You know, well, obviously blended in some of his own guys, but but they play hard. And just got to be probably the biggest surprise of the league when you talk about what they got done in the non-conference. I mean, they had some horrible losses. They lost to Wofford, um, Central Florida, I want to say. And in, in, in league play, they're sitting here with only two losses as we go into the final two weeks of the season. They're in solo second place. And despite the non-conference, I mean, it feels like they probably played their, their way to the tournament. Uh, they can, they're one of the best blends uh, of offense and defense in the league. Since, since SEC play started, they're third in the league in scoring offense, second in the league in um, scoring defense. Only Alabama is, is up there kind of, kind of close with that. Not a, um, you know, typically have not been a great offensive team under, under Buzz Williams, but they're, they're shooting it much better this year. 
um, not necessarily from three, but the, the third doing, you know, looking up some stuff for the preview, the third, the league in, in field goal percentage, which has not typically been the case for Buzz's teams. But, but overall, I mean, I, I'll be surprised if it's not a really good game. I mean, two teams that from a, you know, mental makeup standpoint, I, I think are pretty similar. They're very tough minded. They probably pride themselves on defense and dropping one at Texas A&M. But if Tennessee can steal that one and really, really enhances their chances of getting a top four seed in the league tournament, yeah, Eric, if you and then Rob, if you if you can win at Texas A&M and beat Auburn, you're likely probably going to win out at that point. Um, you know, and again, if and buts, right? I mean, like the ball, the balls, the balls haven't shown the ability to say, yeah, they're definitely going to win out. Um, but if if you, it all starts with this first game against A&M, you win that one. Uh, you have a lot to play for. Um, you're already a game ahead of Auburn in the win-loss column. I think Kentucky drops another one, and, and I think you still have a chance to move them to that 2-3 um, seed if you can turn things around. But, again, you know, you've got to be able to turn it around. You need Josiah Jordan-James and Julian Phillips to get back healthy. Um, and then, again, see what happens. I, I think that you've you've developed some nice pieces because you've seen Jemai Meshack step up, Jonas Adu step up against Alabama. You saw, you know, Tobey Awaka step up multiple games. You saw Tyreek Key against Vanderbilt and Missouri step up before kind of going back uh, into the cave this past week. So, you know, you, you've shown that if you were to be down a player or two, you are still capable, but you, you really need that full complement to, uh, to be who you want to try to be come March. I said this on the full court press afterwards. It still remains true. If they made it to Texas to the final four, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if they lost in the first round. I would not be surprised. Same. I agree with that. I, I 100% agree with that. So uh, Tennessee will be back at it. Texas A&M that's going up tonight, seven o'clock and uh, Rob and Grant will have full coverage right here on the side of allquest.com. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Let's shift gears now. Let's go to uh, the the gridiron in terms of recruiting. Tennessee picked up its fourth 2024 commit. This came uh, Saturday evening, and uh, it's an in-state athlete, defensive back by the name of Marcus Gorey from Bradley Central. Austin Price, tell us a little bit about the Bradley Central uh, native, Marcus Gorey. Uh, long, um, athletic, and uh, you know I think a really good player. Someone who Willie Martinez – um, took a liking to at camp last summer, has been on hard ever since. Marcus really likes Tennessee. Marcus's uh, family really likes Tennessee. And so it just made a lot of sense to, to go ahead and, and get that one done. 
Tennessee gets that one done. They're in a good spot with Evan Spillman. They're in a good spot with Boo Carter. Again, neither one of those kids are done done, but at the same time, you kind of like where Tennessee stands as of, you know, February 21st. So, um, you know, for my liking, Tennessee's done a nice job with the in-state kids to this point. I don't feel like they're behind on anybody. I think that they're ahead on everybody. Uh, doesn't mean you get them. Doesn't mean you get them all. But uh, I think that Tennessee's done a good job of pinpointing, targeting um, the Boo Carters, the Evan Spillmans, Amari Jefferson, they're turning the heat up on, Ronan O'Connell, uh, Kamaro Brown. Um, you know, you keep going right down the list of some of these in-state kids that Tennessee really likes, and, and you feel like, okay, t- you know, Tennessee's going to probably land their fair share in state. Again, as I saw on the board the other day when we talked about when somebody brought up, you know, there's 42 kids that sign with Power Five schools. Yeah, okay. You, a kid signing with Indiana is not the same thing as a kid signing with Alabama, right? So, I mean, like, you know, you, you have to kind of, you know, pick your, you know, pick, you know, pick your, you know, kind of where you want to go. Ultimately, you got to go off your evaluations. And so you can't get locked up into, well, Alabama offered or Georgia offered, we got to offer. Like, if, you, if you're not in love with the kid, you don't think he fits what you want and what you need you've got to kind of go off what you see with your own eyes and sometimes that may come back to bite you sometimes it's not it's like i said the other day on the board the strange kid from farragut he was not what he became at, T- at utc when he left farragut which is why he didn't have anybody else that was going to take him he couldn't have went to georgia or alabama or auburn or lsu or florida or tennessee or mississippi state or Ole miss or south carolina or anywhere else in the league but he went and he worked hard and he made himself into a player that everybody was like, man, how did Tennessee miss on him? How did everybody miss on him? I mean, he he's one of those kids that you see those every year. I mean, how did all those schools miss on Terrell Owens back in the day when he went to UTC? So, you know, you're never going to be perfect in recruiting, but you still have to stick by your evaluations and you can't get caught up in, you know, well, so-and-so offered, so we need to offer. That's not how this should work. If that's how you're doing it, then – to me, that's that's you're, you're going to end up, you know, falling into some traps and, and and failing a little bit. Again, inevitably, there's going to be a kid or two that leaves the state that turns into a really good player, and you're going to go, man, how did we miss on that kid? That's going to happen. That happens to Georgia every year. That happens to Alabama every year. That happens to every school when you're talking about in-state kids. So I think Tennessee's done a really good job with this 24 crop. They'll continue to do. Let me ask you this, Austin. Uh, Tennessee took three cornerbacks in the twenty-three class. Tennessee already has now two with, uh, you know, with with Gorey, who they, they like him at corner. He can play a little bit of everything, but they like him at corner, right? Yes. Okay, so you got two here with Caleb Beasley and Gorey. Kamara Brown's a name you just mentioned. They love him at corner. How many corners could be in this class realistically, and could they all three be from the state of Tennessee? Uh, yeah, I mean, they could. Tennessee may not have to go outside the state for secondary help in the 24 class. So, you know, I think that's very realistic that they wouldn't have to. Boo Carter's obviously a guy that's on defense in the secondary. Um, you know, and so, um, you know, Caleb, while he plays corner at Lipscomb, that doesn't mean he's necessarily going to play corner in college. Now, I think he'll get every chance to, but, he, you know, he's a guy that could play safety. Marcus will start a corner and we'll see what happens from there. Um, you know, but, you know, ultimately, you know, I think for Tennessee, they shouldn't have to leave the state for secondary help in 24. Now, if you were to miss on one or or a kid go elsewhere, obviously that changes kind of the thought process, but two in the boat right now and a few more that they still are recruiting hard in state. I was asked this on the board a couple of days ago, Austin, uh, you know, dead period right now, but Tennessee's going to have that junior day first of March. Any big names that you know of right now, they're going to be making their way in for that junior day. Um, you know, it'll be a lot of the in-state kids. Ronan O'Connell supposed to be back in. I, the, there's going to be, 
there's going to be a core group of out-of-state kids, but then there's also going to be a core group that says, I don't care about the junior day. I'm going to come when spring practice starts. And so you might see that as well. The, the fourth may be a lighter day because kids, you know, some kids want to come and they want to see a practice. They want to see how the coaches coach. They want to be able to, you know, kind of be involved in that way versus coming, you know, for the car wash, you know, which is a junior day. Like you're just kind of run through, you're doing this, you're doing that, you do all these cool things and it's fun and it's informative, but to kind of get a real grasp of, you know, what it's like to play for said coach, you really need to come for a practice, which is something that Tennessee will push because they'd love to get the kids here, both the fourth and for spring practice, but more than anything, they'd love to get them here for a practice and let them be around the team, let them be around the players and let them be, uh, you know, around the facility when practice is going on. And, and then the famous question, you know, who well, not necessarily who, but when could we see another one? Would it, would it be in that month of March whenever you're getting kids back on campus? Uh, probably, probably yeah. quiet here, quiet here for the rest of February and looking ahead to spring. Yeah, I, I think that March is going to be the the month. Um, I think they're probably going to get one to two in March, and then I think April will probably be in, a few more after that. Um, you know, it's kind of just how things have lined up, in my opinion. But, uh, you know, I think you're, you're going to see at least one, if not two, in the month of March. And then I think you'll start to see Tennessee continue to, to amp up the, the momentum. Well, Tennessee's got four commits now for the class of 2024. And Jonathan Eccles still holding on to that tight end for right now. And Caleb Beasley, Marcus Gorey, and Carson Gentle. Tennessee, according to the On3 rankings, uh, the national rank is 16th. SEC rank is 8th. But, of course, it's very, very early uh, here in this 24 cycle. All right, so we got hoops going on right now. Big week coming up, of course tonight. Texas A&M. We've got you know football recruiting that continues to swirl. Tennessee baseball started this past weekend, guys, and uh, started out in Arizona. And, and I know there's going to be a lot of non-conference games, uh, you know, from now until uh, midway through March when they crank up SEC play. So it's going to be a lot of wins and a lot of blowout wins and all that type of stuff here at Lindsey Nelson Stadium. Uh, but you did go out there, Austin, and you played against Arizona. That's a really good team. Played against Grand Canyon in an environment that is second to none, in my opinion. Uh, and then you played UC San Diego. Went one and two. Uh, wasn't the best weekend. Wasn't perfect. But uh, it was a good weekend to get out there and get started because something I wrote about this weekend, you're not going to face that competition like that for another month on a routine basis. Uh, overall thoughts kind of from watching it from afar this weekend with Tennessee baseball. Well, it wasn't ideal. Um, I'm not saying you had to go three and zero because I don't, I think it's baseball. You don't, it's, you don't live and die on a win or a loss unless it's postseason play. And, uh, you know, I do think that, that you the one thing you figured out is like Tennessee's going to have to win. They're going to have to win with pitching defense. They can't make mental errors. You go back to the mental errors, the base running blunders, the Tennessee had in game two, that hurt their ability to go two and one. Um, Arizona, a team that played in Omaha just two years ago, really talented team, likely will be a, uh, a good loss for Tennessee over the course of the season. But, you know, going one and two is just not – I mean, like, it, it's not a win weekend, right? I mean, that's not what you went out there to do. I'm not saying you had to go three and zero, oh, but you sure didn't go out there to, to, to be under 500 coming home for this long homestand. And, um, you know – they got to figure out their lineup, and, and that's the, the thing right now. You want to kind of start working through things, figure out where, you know, you feel like you can be. Um, it, you were so used to just such a loaded lineup a year ago. I mean, you go back, and Evan Russell's playing catcher, and, and when you think about catcher, you don't normally think about a guy that hits a ton of home runs, but he gets the double-digit home runs. Obviously, 
Oh, I forget. Was he in Lipsius that I guess Russell got past Lipsius there yeah. at the end of the year for career home runs or whatever? They were kind of going back and forth, yeah. Yeah, but like that lineup from top to bottom, even the guys that came in off the bench, like Christian Moore a year ago, Blake Burke, that were just mashing the ball. Now those are the marquee players that mash the ball, so they're less protected. Now getting Griffin Merritt back in the lineup for Sunday's game was big because he it provides protection for a Blake Burke. And what did Blake Burke do on Sunday? He ripped a triple, and he hit a home run. Before that, he was kind of pedestrian at the plate, um, you know, for the for the two games before that. So I, I guess you just you're so used to them being top to bottom, lots of home runs, and just mashing the ball. I think it's going to be different this year. They're going to have to win with more small ball which is uh, not as exciting. You're not seeing the daddy hat and the big fur coat and stuff as much. But, um, you know, right now Tennessee's kind of feeling it out and going to have to, you know, kind of figure out what works for this particular team. The biggest thing would be getting Maui Ohuna eligible, and then that just adds to that lineup. But, again, getting some of those freshmen in here the next month at home, letting them see what they can do, especially the hitters, I think that goes a long way to kind of figuring out where you are as a team. Yeah, I mean, off the top, you said got to figure out that lineup, and it's hard to figure out that lineup when arguably your best player is not in that lineup right now. And there's flexibility. You know, Maui can hit leadoff. Maui can hit third. It just kind of depends. I mean, it's not not necessarily on matchups because both he and Dickey are both left-handed hitters. Uh, but but if Maui's at the top, you can put Jared Dickey at you know five or six potentially, and that that makes the middle of the order so much better. Um, if Maui's at three, then you can slide Blake Burke back to four, Zane Ditton to five or six, or Merritt, and then Zane Ditton to six. I mean, that just makes it that much deeper. So without Maui, you're seeing kind of it affect the the, the lineup card and the batting order in a big way. Um, again, you know, we, we just continue to get asked this, and at the time of this recording, it's just, hey, it's it's still an eligibility issue, and, and we know from, uh, gosh, we know from Uros, we know from Cade, we know from. Uh, so many different from brew. I mean, there's been so many different cases here at Tennessee over the last couple of years. There's no real concern on Tennessee's behalf right now, but obviously they want him out there. So it's nothing in IL. It's nothing grade wise. It's just an eligibility issue right now. But Tennessee needs to get Maui back for sure. And then kind of what you were saying as well. You look around and there's there's a new guy in every position. So there's going to be a feeling out process. It's just part of it. You know, Christian Moore and Blake Burke, they are the they are the guys now. Added with a Jared Dickey and a Maui and a Griffin Merritt and a Zane Denton. I mean, you know, that that's that's got to kind of come together. But they they were complementary players last year. They were not everyday players, and so their roles have changed. Um, you know, trying to figure it out on the fly against really good competition. Um, you know, that's that, that's going to help them. You know, down the road, I feel like. But you know, Rome wasn't built in the day. A lot of people are saying, how in the world was this team ranked preseason number two? And that's fair. And Tony even said to us when we spoke with him in preseason. He said, we're ranked number two by all these national plaudits, and I think that's because of what we did last year. I think they're getting a little ahead of ourselves right now. This is a new team, and there's going to be growing pains. So um, I think that you know, there's there's five games this week, you know, three over the weekend. you got two midweek games starting tonight at four, or today at 4.30. A lot of those young freshmen, as you mentioned, like Dylan Dryling and Reese Chapman, some young arms. Uh, the, this, this next couple of weeks is going to be big in terms of trying to figure out that lineup seeing if you can get Maui back, and then just trying to come together as a team because it's going to take a little while, and that's okay. Not every team is going to go win 57 games in a season. That's a program record for a reason, Austin. Correct. Uh, people get spoiled, man. Yeah. yeah. 
It's because most, and again, this isn't a knock, and, and somebody's going, well, that's crap, man. I'll, I'll, I'll pay attention every year. A good portion of the Tennessee baseball fans that started to watch last year hadn't paid a whole lot of attention for the last several years, right? Yeah. So, like, I'm not saying that's everybody, because it's not. But there's a portion of the fans that got kind of caught, got swept up in the momentum and the movement and all that from the Omaha trip two years ago to through, through last year's unbelievable run that had an early exit to Notre Dame. And, and that's all they know, that they know the home runs and the daddy hats and the fur coats and the trash talk and all that. And so when all of a sudden it changes, they're like, wait a minute, you know, th- that's not normal. The no- normal is not winning 57, you know, 58 games. It is, you know, dropping an occasional midweek game to a team that's good and you were pitching your seventh best pitcher. It's, <laughs> it, it's, 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 you know, not winning every SEC series, like, Again, like you're going to have some hiccups, but they've got to figure out who they are. I think a good week this week would be four and one. You go anything better than that is gold, and everybody like, oh, everything's fine. Four and one puts you at five and three heading into next week, and all of a sudden you start getting some momentum back. So you know, I think that you know it starts with the midweek games. Tennessee needs to find a way to win these two midweek games at home, and then you head into the weekend where you'll have your aces back on the mound and then all of a sudden it, it, it you know just feels different yeah for sure and and again if, if we're new to watching midweek games this is you know going to be bullpen games they're going to be piggyback starts you're going to see the games are going to last four hours it's really annoying but the purpose of midweek games is to get all those arms some work in that's why you have a couple um you know a couple of midweek games of the first couple of weeks of the season they just kind of kind of see who they are kind of regulate that rotation that staff and all that and then, as you mentioned, you get back to you know Dolander on Friday, Burns on Saturday, and then Beam on Sunday. Uh, last thing I mentioned in the baseball three two one yesterday, uh, kind of my three observations. Starting pitching was about where it was. Your boy Beam AP, he was marvelous on Sunday. And again, I'm not going to act like that UC San Diego lineup is you know uh, the the 1927 Yankees. <laughs> okay, like it was not that great, but he was he was fantastic. I thought Burns was good on Saturday. Dolander was not his best, but he was good enough. I mean, that he was good enough to win. win. He was good enough to win. Exactly. And, and they just didn't score enough runs. Yeah. So, um, excited to see those guys get back out there today. And it, it is a, uh, as Brent Hope said on the, the Rocket Top Rewind, it is a marathon. It is not a sprint. And, you know, this weekend out in Arizona, seeing good competition, good environments, uh, hopefully that'll make this team better in the long run. But we'll, of course, Cover everything over at VolQuest.com. For Rob Lewis, Austin Price, I am Eric Kane. Appreciate you guys for hanging out with us here on the VolQuest podcast. Big thanks to Exterior Home Solutions who make this coverage possible. Give them a call today for a free estimate by calling 865-524-5888. That's 865-524-5888. A free estimate at Exterior Home Solutions. And check them out at Exterior Home Solutions dot com as well if you're watching on youtube like this video please subscribe to the youtube channel as always send in your mailbag questions for the volquest mailbag pod that's coming up on thursday until then enjoy the rest of your tuesday everybody you've been listening to the volquest podcast every week here on volquest Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.